Hello and welcome. I'm Pam Pastor. If this is your first time tuning in, know that God honors and blesses those who diligently seek His Word and put it into action. Or perhaps you're a longtime listener. If so, welcome back. You know, we learn from the book of Jeremiah, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. So be prepared to power up your life as you join me and others each week as we explore all things pertaining to Jesus. Now let's center ourselves and prepare to enter into God's presence. We're going to start off with a blessing or it's known as a benediction from Moses's brother, priest Aaron. This comes out of the book of Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Well, friends, welcome back. And can you believe we're down to our remaining parables that Jesus teaches us about judgment in the future? We have four remaining stories that specifically provide us with God's values. So we're starting off today with a story called The Two Sons. And this is found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, You go. And he said, Yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two was obeying his father? And they replied, the first, of course. Then Jesus explained his meaning for telling this parable. I assure you, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the way to life, and you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to turn from your sins and believe him. Keep in mind Jesus' parables. Tell earthly stories while giving us a heavenly bend. This one is no different. You see, the son who said he would obey and then didn't, represented the people of Israel in Jesus's day. They said they wanted to do God's will. However, their actions placed them into disobedience over and over again. And doesn't that sound like present day? Well, the people proved to be phony and were just going through the motions of being committed Christians. We each experience our own faith walk. We may be able to borrow our parents for a short time, that you know, lean upon their faith when we're small children, but there comes a point in time when every person must possess and secure their very own saving faith. It becomes dangerous to pretend with God because only God knows our true heart condition, and he's able to read our inner character. While others may think they know us, only our creator God 
can mine our heart's true intentions. Our actions must match up to our words that we profess. So this next parable is shared in three of the four Gospels, and it's titled, The Evil Farmers. We find this story told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For our purposes, if you'd like to join me, I'll be reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Then Jesus began telling them stories. A man planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At grape picking time, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they beat him over the head and treated him shamefully. The next servant he sent was killed. Others who were sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. The owner finally sent him thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do? Jesus asked. I'll tell you. He will come and kill them all and lease the vineyard to others. You see, vineyards were familiar to people in Jesus's day like they are in our day. This method of teaching helped to provide people with something new. Jesus was compelling his listeners to engage with the story so that they could discover something new for themselves. God's chosen people originally were the Israelites. Fortunately, us Gentiles have been grafted in and share in this inclusion now. But for this story, Israel was pictured as the vineyard. They were who was to bring salvation onto the world. The religious leaders of the day, think Pharisees, Sadducees, even the Essenes, frustrated the nation of Israel's purpose. Additionally, they killed those who were trying to fulfill the mission. These elites were so jealous and possessive that they failed in their assignment by ignoring the welfare of the very people they were charged or supposed to be bringing to God. If you're wondering in Jesus's story who the man was that planted the vineyard, it was none other than our God Almighty. Again, we said the vineyard in the story represented the nation of Israel. The tenant farmers were indicative of the religious leaders of the day. The servants represented the prophets and priests who remained faithful to God. The son is our Lord Jesus, the heir of the vineyard. And the others represent the Gentiles. Now, Jesus' purpose for telling of this story was predictive. He was exposing the religious leaders' motives and their plot to kill him. The story also serves as a warning that their sins would be punished by God himself. 
You see, friends, Jesus makes it clear. God sees all and will balance the scales of justice. God's value system is carried out in the promises of his word. Our next parable is titled, The Unproductive Fig Tree, and comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Then Jesus used this illustration. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taking up space. We can use it for something else. The gardener answered, give it one more chance, leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, you can cut it down. We see in the Old Testament examples of fruitful trees symbolizing godly lives. Psalm chapter 1 verse 3 puts it like this, They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and in all they do they prosper. Now, Scripture wasn't saying we as godly people are immune to failure or difficulties, nor is it a guarantee of wealth, health, and overall happiness. So then what is the Bible talking about when it mentions prosperity alongside of fruitful trees? We see when we apply God's wisdom, the fruit equals the results or the byproducts of our efforts. This is one way that we are shown God's approval. Trees are known for soaking in water. We too must soak in the presence of our creator, our God. Then we too, like trees, will produce luscious fruit. We must soak in God's word so that the Holy Spirit can impress upon us God's word, allowing us to act out our inherent authority as believers. You see, in Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, we're told, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit. When we place our trust in the wrong things, we're barren and we're unfruitful. However, when we place our trust in God, we're fruitful and multiplication takes shape rather than subtraction. Our trust in God Jesus and the Holy Spirit yield strength and nourishment to endure battle fatigue. People who lean on man are impoverished and often spiritually weak. Why we are never satisfied being unfruitful is because in lack, others' needs are left behind, and we're not created to be selfish. 
placing Jesus's parables into action, let's make sure that we too are well watered, having strength in crisis and some to share with others as we bear the fruit for Jesus. Jesus tells us what is to become of us if we routinely take up space on our planet and yield no fruit. We'll be cut down. God will not forever tolerate our lack of productivity. Now to be clear, this isn't the same as worldly wealth. This is you and me enjoying the benefits of being kingdom children and then giving back to God or to the kingdom for all of the blessings within our life. Our last parable is called the unforgiving servant. And this can be found in Matthew chapter 18 verses 23 through 35. If you'd like to follow along, this is one that we're revisiting again and it is worth it. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and begged him, Oh, sir, be patient with me, and I will repay it all. Then the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient, I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and jailed until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told what had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. You may be wondering why we reviewed the parable of the unforgiving debtor. We learn much about God's values through this story. It's more than the repayment of a debt. Much is taught about a person's heart condition. Back in biblical times, serious consequences awaited those who could not pay their debts. A person's entire family was placed on the line when a debt couldn't be repaid. Often all would go to work to get the debt repaid. The debtor also could be imprisoned, or worse yet, the family could be sold into slavery. We also are taught in this parable to be forgiving toward others, not because they deserve it, but because God has forgiven us. I'm in no way suggesting that it's easy to forgive others who go out of their way to perpetuate evil upon us, but there's only one ulterior to choose for ourselves. It's better to forgive and allow God to handle the person. 
a scripture that comes to mind comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you as honorable. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Instead, do what the scriptures say. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink, and they will be ashamed of what they have done to you. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. We're told to love others the way Christ loves us. I'm not sure that it's completely possible, but we are to kill others with kindness. With that said, God knows us in our human condition and he recognizes when we do the best we can. It's in these times that we must go within and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. In our own strength, we're not capable, but the Holy Spirit, he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 puts it this way, It's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Our world wrongly believes to survive on our planet. We must be tough as nails, strong, unyielding, nonconformist, unbending, and even harsh. But God's ways are different. God says not by force nor by strength but by my spirit. It is only through God's spirit that anything of lasting value is accomplished. Our saving grace is that God is on our side through thick and thin, not just a fair-weathered friend. So I would ask you, friends, today, have you thought about salvation? Are you saved? Do you know where you're going to go if the lights went out today, you died. And lights, if you're saved, your lights will never go out. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. He is the light. And through this world, our light is seen. It emanates out of us because of the Holy Spirit. It is all about Jesus, friends. So if you've not been spiritually reborn, wouldn't now make a good time? What are you waiting for? You don't know the measure of your days, nor do I. So we need to be saved as soon as you comprehend Jesus's message, which is now. And I'm going to give you an opportunity here to get right with Jesus and live out the rest of your days, knowing where you're going to be going that you're going to be heaven bound should you choose to accept this. Because God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we must confess belief in his son, Jesus. That is the only way to make it into the kingdom. We must profess with our mouth. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. 
Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was placed on to Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us at our conversion. While we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus, however, we can show him gratitude by growing and making efforts to obey him, deepening our relationship daily. And friends, you might not understand all the specifics of how this works, how our sin was placed upon a cross 2,000 years ago, and how we're made right 2,000 years later, and how we're justified just like our sin never happened. Just because you don't understand it fully doesn't mean it's not truth. The Bible is truth. And this is where this is coming from. So today, friends, if this is you, respectfully, I'm challenging you to take a bold step of courage. You know, we all have faith in something, and I'm asking you to place Jesus Christ as your object of your faith. Place your faith into action by confessing after me. Father God, today I'm repenting of my sins, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking. Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart, take up resonance. I confess your shed blood washed away my sin from the top of my head to the soles of my feet upon that cross at Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed this prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And consider growing by joining a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other like-minded believers who will build up and help to edify your faith in Jesus. Now allow me to be the first person to congratulate you on making the most important decision of your life. Congratulations and God bless you. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. Typically on Wednesdays, we have a children's podcast, but this was the last part of our series, so we didn't have that today. But tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you might have grown up with on future Wednesdays. And we'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into all kinds of topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love and action looks like, biblical trust, and so many more topics. Saving salvation. <laughs> There's another one. And then what does it look like to have the Holy Spirit being impactful and being within our life. Yes, we get the Holy Spirit when we're saved, but then how do we continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I hope you'll join me for that series. So please join in. And if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe to get the latest releases as they become available. And you know, occasionally I do reference chapters out of my book under the same name, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you find any of the content to be inspiring, compelling, or maybe you want to do more of a rigorous deep dive, I suggest picking up a copy of the book. It can be found at pampastorcopywriting.com or on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble or even Dorrance.com. But importantly, friends, I'm not trying to sell books. I'm trying to get 
the most pertinent information of your life into your hands. So if you can't afford a copy, write to me. I'm going to get you a free copy. You're not going to be disappointed. It's full of God's word and it is absolutely waiting for you to read it. Until next time, remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. And the Apostle John gives us this parting blessing out of Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, friends, God bless you.